1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everyone. Welcome down to Snow's History at New York City, September 1960. There was an event that would help shape the character of that pivotal decade. Fidel Castro arrived in America. he just seized power in Cuba. He was here for the opening of the UN General Assembly and he was the hottest date in town. Great leaders from all over the world beat a path to his hotel in Harlem, from Khrushchev to NASA. And in their wake came other political and cultural luminaries like Malcolm X and Allen Ginsberg. He was selling anti-imperialism, racial equality, leftist revolution... And there were plenty of takers. The Eisenhower administration didn't know what to do with him. Uh, This is a fantastic episode. And it's one caught by Professor Simon Hall. He's at the University of Leeds. Um, He's been on the podcast before a long time ago. He's coming back on now to talk about these 10 days uh, that were a critical hinge point, really, in the trajectory of of the Cold War, international relations, uh, but also the culture of the 60s. If you want to watch more Cold War documentaries, you can do so at History Hit TV. If you're to going to listen to Simon Hall's previous appearance on this podcast, you can only do so on History Hit TV. All the back episodes of the podcast are there. They're all ad-free, so you don't have to listen to my boring voice. You go onto History Hit TV. It's like Netflix. You take out a subscription using the code POD1, P-O-D-1, at checkout. That gets you a month for free, and the second month it is £1, euro, or dollar. And then you'll be a History Hit subscriber. You'll be joining the revolution. But in the meantime, everybody, here... Is Thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Thanks, Dan. It's really great to be here.
1: Uh, you've done that thing that I love it when historians do. You've found that little 10-day period that just, with the most extraordinary cast list you can imagine, what was the background to this famous visit of Fidel Castro to New York City?
2: Uh, yeah, so he's, he's, uh, he's uh, flown in for the um, 15th General Assembly of the United Nations, which is like a one of the great sort of set piece diplomatic moments of the um, of the post war uh, uh, the post war period, and um, he's gone there I think to make some mischief and have some fun.
1: Um, look, can I just first ask because I'm so fascinated by the by the history of the UN? people today just they don't realise it was very briefly it was a kind of global parliament? I mean it mattered. People the, the JFK Eisenhower those guys sweated what happened in uh, on the assembly floor, didn't they?
2: yeah it mattered and it mattered in a way that it doesn't seem to matter at the moment which is um which is which is telling and it particularly mattered in in September of 1960 because it was a moment when uh, more than a dozen newly independent african countries were about to join the united nations and um this was seen both as a you know hugely symbolic moment in the history of the end of european empire but also these countries their allegiances were sort of up for grabs in the in the uh, cold war contest between United States and the West, and the and the Soviet Union and the and the, and the Communist Bloc. So, um, the United Nations seems to matter very much in, in the autumn of 1960.
1: And what's Fidel's reputation? In, well, what's first of all, what's the reality of his position in Cuba and his uh, his approach to, to ruling there? And and what and then what's his reputation uh, in the West and also with different communities? i um, not just in the West, but even within the city of New York.
2: Yeah, so Fidel had, um, had seized power. Um, his revolution had succeeded in ousting uh, Batista in, in January of 1959. And um, it was a kind of a revolution that had sort of thrilled people, lots of people around the world, including um, uh, kind of uh, many liberals and leftists in, in, in Western Europe and in the United States. Um, but as his government had kind of um, begun to kind of consolidate its hold on Cuba, um, support among uh, many um uh, white liberals basically started to drift away, they'd been particularly alarmed by two things. One, a, a kind of flurry of um, sort of show trials and executions in um, the early months of the revolution, and then an increasingly sort of independent economic policy which had seen the government in Cuba um, nationalize and expropriate um, uh, companies that were owned by, uh, particularly by American um, businessmen. And so by the time we get to the autumn of 1960, uh, of 1960, his stock is definitely falling um, in, in lots of um, uh, among many constituencies in the, in the United States and in um, western europe, but he 's still very popular um, among leftists and particularly among african americans uh, and that 's because within just a few weeks of taking power in in, 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 uh, uh, in um, january of one thousand nine hundred and fifty nine he 'd um, committed his government to eliminating uh, racial discrimination and segregation on the island and so this was particularly um uh, kind of exciting because Cuba was just ninety miles off the coast of the segregated South, uh, and Fidel's kind of boldness uh, contrasted very sharply with the Eisenhower uh, the Eisenhower administration's kind of um, caution when it came to American race uh, relations. Um, Eisenhower sort of basically said to African Americans, you know, you know, I, I support I support your demands for greater freedom and equality, but you need to be patient, uh, and um, uh, there was a certain lack of empathy, I suppose, with the increasing urgency of demands in the United States for racial reform and, and real change.
1: And the, I love the popular response to Fidel landing. Paint everyone the picture of what happens when Fidel gets off his plane and heads into downtown.
2: The American government is really very unhappy that he's come uh, to New York. They'd much rather he wasn't there. They place all of these security restrictions on him that mean that um, he's not able to leave the island of Manhattan. Um, uh, he's kind of manhandled a bit when he gets off the plane by the security, uh, the American security, when he attempts to to go over and, and uh, greet a, a crowd of, of um, supporters who've, who've um, assembled at Idlewild Air Airport, which is modern day JFK, to uh, kind of greet him. And then as he drives in um, uh, to Manhattan, um, there are quite a lot of supporters, um, Cuban-American uh, supporters of the revolution, um, people of South American origin who are Latin American origin, who are supportive of the revolution. African Americans are out, um, and they gather outside his hotel in Midtown, the Shelburne Hotel, to kind of cheer him. So he, he's, um, and, they, and they did this despite the fact that the, the weather is filthy; it's pouring with rain um, all afternoon. But they're there on the streets to kind of uh, to kind of greet him and catch a glimpse of him.
1: Does he enjoy this? I mean, how does this impact on him?
2: Yeah, I think obviously, um, whenever he sees people who are who are cheering him, it, 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 that's kind of grist to his milk, Really, it's it's um uh he's he's uh, he's pleased by it um he's he's not pleased by the american security presence he gets very annoyed when they um you know he tries to get out of his car at one point uh, at the airport and they they basically force him back in um and that puts him in a bit of a bad mood but um uh, but the sight the sight of the of the supporters is definitely one that puts a smile on his face
1: and but the one one person who didn't spoil him was the parent of the hotel you you told me all about the uh, the hotel owner was not a big fan
2: no, so I mean the Cubans had had a real tough time in actually securing um, accommodations in New York. The original hotel they were going to stay in um, cancelled the reservation when the, uh, Fidel announced that he would be heading the delegation and bringing a much larger contingent to New York, and then basically no hotel would would accommodate them. And it took the it started to become a bit of a diplomatic embarrassment for the United States. So the State Department, together with the UN, basically put pressure on the owner of this hotel in Midtown, the Shelburne Hotel, a guy called Edward Spatz. Um, And they convince him to accommodate the Cubans. But Spatz is um, an an anti-communist, and he's a great American patriot, and he makes it very clear to the press that he's only um, taking in the Cubans sort of under sufferance, really. And he kind of makes it clear to the Cubans as well when they arrive that he doesn't really, um, he's not really particularly happy that they're staying there. So there's a moment when they ask, um, you know, he puts a big, huge American flag outside the hotel to kind of burnish his patriotic uh, credentials, and when they ask if they can fly the Cuban flag, he just says, you yeah, know, no way. And he tells the press that um, he hates the Cubans. So it's probably not so much of a surprise that they, the stay at the Shelburne is, is, is a short and relatively unhappy one.
1: Uh, he, does, he threatens to sleep outside. He's like, yeah, I've been sleeping in, in, under the stars during the revolution. I'm cool with that.
2: Yeah. So even before he gets to New York, he's said, you know, we might, have to, we might end up having to sleep in, in Central Park, but that's fine. We're, we're a mountain people. We're used to the open air. Um, and then there's all these rumours flying around shortly after the Cubans have checked in that says that they're plucking chickens and cooking them in their hotel rooms and stubbing out their cigars in the on the expensive furniture and so Spatz demands a, a $10,000 additional security deposit and, and, and then refuses a Cuban government bond on the grounds that it looks dodgy and this really is the trigger for Fidel to basically storm out of the hotel um, head straight to the United Nations headquarters Complains to Dag Hammarskjöld, the Secretary General, about the terrible, insulting treatment of his delegation. Threatens to sleep in the UN Rose Garden if an alternative can't be found. And then, um, after a couple of hours at the United Nations, ends up um, relocating to the Hotel Theresa in in Harlem, the so-called Waldorf of Harlem.
1: And where he's 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 more popular uptown, isn't he? Because, it, because then that's when it all turns into a sort of well, a whole different scene.
2: Yeah, he's enormously a uh, uh, popular, it causes huge excitement. News of his move to to Harlem uh, spreads, so even before he gets there, there are several thousand people on crowded onto the the, the streets around the the hotel, uh, cheering, waving flags, and and basically that's the scene uh, that repeats itself night after night. Um, crowds gather every day to try to catch a glimpse of of Castro and also to catch a glimpse of many of his, ho- pro- many of his um, high profile. Uh, guests who come who come calling and so yeah he gets a very warm reception in harlem um itself
1: tell me about those guests because i mean this is the thing that's just completely fascinating and and for for that few well for that few weeks i mean people often talk about new york being the world's capital but it was just everyone who was anyone was in new york and and he seemed to be one of the big players
2: yeah i mean his, his very first guest is malcolm x um who arrives just a few um Maybe less than an hour after Fidel uh, checks in at the Teresa, and that really sets the tone of the of the of the of the of um of his stay there. So um, his second guest is Ni- is Nikita Khrushchev, the leader of the Soviet Union. NASA goes there. Um, Nehru goes there. On the evening of um, September the twenty second, there's a great sort of gala reception held at the Teresa for him, and you get the kind of great and the good of the worlds of kind of politics, culture, uh, the Black Freedom Struggle who are who were there. People like um, Allen Ginsberg, um, C. Wright Mills, the um, New Left sociologist, the Magnum photographer um, Henri Cartier-Bresson. So you have you know the great and the good of the not just the United States but kind of um, global uh, uh, figures there too. I mean the the, the British theatre critic uh, Kenneth Tynan is there at the reception. So it's um, it's kind of a great moment in the history of the this stay, but also great kind of becomes an iconic moment in the in the history of the kind of wider 1960s. Uh, and yeah, for a while the whole world's attention is really on the the comings and goings at the Hotel Teresa. I mean, Fidel really steals the show. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game, from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord.
1: Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and followed Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of
2: History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: Apart from the sort of just creating a good vibe, what did these anti-imperialists like NASA? and Fidel did they have anything in common did they, did they was there anything constructive or was were they there for the instagram shots
2: yeah i'm not sure they were there just for the instagram shots although there are some absolutely wonderful photographs uh, loads of wonderful photographs of this um uh, of this whole series of events that take uh, to take place um i think F- fidel wants um he wants to be seen with these people because it helps to burnish his own claims to be a a kind of leader of the global anti-imperialist uh, movement. When it comes to NASA, they do have things in common. So the, the Cubans had admired NASA for kind of uh, standing up to the British and the French in, in 1956 during the Suez Crisis, um, and so they did have um, uh, a kind of shared um, interest there. But but the, the meeting with NASA doesn't doesn't go as well as it might have done. They're, they're two very different uh, characters. I mean, um, Fidel is always in his in his uh, olive green battle fatigues. Uh, his suite at the Hotel Teresa is is extremely messy, um, and Nasser is a very, a very smooth, a very polished, extremely smart, always very immaculately dressed and turned out, and and Nasser is sort of appalled by the surroundings in the Hotel Teresa when he goes to visit Fidel, but they also don't get along brilliantly. Um, there's a moment when uh, Nasser presents Fidel with a beautiful um, silver tea service as a, as a gift, and uh, Castro is. Uh, can't contain his disappointment at not being given a crocodile. And, and Nasser is kind of, he's like, well, there are only four crocodiles in Egypt. They're all in the zoo. I mean, and for days later, th- days after that meeting, he's um, overheard sort of muttering to, him, to himself, you know, a crocodile, a crocodile. Fidel gets on much better with Nehru, where they do, they do seem to bond very tightly over uh, the um, kind of granular detail of how to do land reform. Um, so they do seem to share a common interest in that but a lot of it is about the symbolism it's not just the photos but it's the it's the kind of the the wider um symbolism of, of crafting this kind of anti-imperialist movement and 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 uh, and anti-imperialist moment i suppose
1: yeah because you think of the transnational architecture of post second world war the un the world bank the imf is built by the kind of it's built by churchill and truman and and these these uh these figures from the western powers this must have felt in harlem this must have felt like a sort of alternative with great potential, kind of global, global, a transnational system that one, but one that wasn't dependent, didn't run through Washington D.C. and and Whitehall.
2: Yeah, and I think there'd been a sort of an early indication of that. I think it was in 1955 at the Bandung Conference in Indonesia, which was the sort of the first coming together of the so-called non-aligned uh, nations that ultimately become the non-aligned uh, movement, a kind of an attempt to kind of bring together um, this new, potentially this new force in um, in global. Uh, in global politics, and this is in in the autumn of nineteen sixty this is as i said earlier given real added traction by the influx of so many newly independent countries uh to the United Nations, including the likes of of Nigeria and senegal and stuff so there 's a real a real uh, feeling i think that this 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 new force or this growing force uh, can really make a difference that it can it can maybe challenge the bipolar um uh, system the 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 kind of the cold war contest between the west and the communist powers that it can uh, kind of um, pull together the the kind of the interests and the power of these new nations and and really make a and really make a difference uh, so it's quite exciting in that sense i think
1: and then speak it's really exciting speaking of the uh, non aligned is that castro is trying is trying to ride a couple of different horses there, right because he, he was also, what was his relationship like with Khrushchev, the Soviet premier?
2: Yeah, so he meets Khrushchev for the first time uh, in Harlem. Um, Khrushchev makes a point of going to the Hotel Teresa to meet with Fidel, who had offered to go down to the Soviet mission on, on, um, on Park Avenue. Uh, but Khrushchev wants to go to Harlem to make, a, to make a, two points, really. One, to um, show solidarity with the, the Cubans, who have been allegedly mistreated in, in Midtown, but also to draw attention to America's uh, race problem. And to cause um, embarrassment for the Eisenhower administration, and the two get on really well. Uh, they don't meet for very long that first time. It takes the meeting lasts for about half an hour, but they emerge onto the onto the sidewalk, kind of beaming. They share a kind of uh, very enthusiastic, but because of the, you know, Christopher's is very short and uh, quite rotund, and Fidel is extremely tall and thin. They share a, an awkward but enthusiastic uh, embrace on the on the on the sidewalk outside the uh, Teresa. Um, when Fidel enters the General Assembly. Later that day, Khrushchev makes a big a big uh, thing of getting up and going over and greeting him again and having another kind of uh, back slapping uh, embrace with him. Christoph is even extremely patient when Fidel turns up about forty five minutes late for dinner at the Soviet mission a few days a few days later um and is really at, at pains to put Pastro at ease and to be as relaxed as possible so the chemistry the personal chemistry between the two of them is is very good and is on the show for the whole world so yeah at the same time that Fidel is is seeking to kind of burnish his credentials as, as a leader of the of the kind of anti-imperialist global South. He's also growing ever closer to the Soviet Union.
1: And did Khrushchev say, "Do you want some tactical nuclear missiles on your island"?
2: He didn't say. But as far as I know, he didn't he didn't say it right then. No. But uh, obviously, um, a year or so later, after the Bay of Pigs invasion, that's when he does. But he does uh, he does um, make it clear, and and it has in fact the Soviet Union has made it clear in the run up to the General Assembly that they're. Supportive of, of the Cuban Revolution, um, and they do talk about you know if um, if uh, if Cuba is uh, is attacked by this by the United States that they will you know uh, use their own rockets to protect uh, Cuba. So th- they've already started to intimate that they're prepared to um, to support the Cuban Revolution.
1: What about the African Americans in Harlem and and beyond? What is what is the the importance of the visit there?
2: I think it's important symbolically, uh, not. I mean, it's not that everybody who's out on the street cheering for Fidel is a, a, a kind of die-hard supporter of the Cuban Revolution or, or a potential communist or communist sympathizer. Part of it is they're just really excited and pleased that the world's spotlight has has been shone on Harlem, an area which is usually kind of cut off from wider public view. And and the, and they're kind of um, there's a kind of a general glee, I suppose, that um, the American government has been embarrassed by all of this. There's, there's a rumor that does the rounds that says that. Um, you know when fidel um said he was going to move up to harlem that immediately the american government offered to pay uh for the cubans to stay in another hotel in midtown for for free and it's a rumor that's not true but the fact that it's so popular and it's so widely uh, kind of uh, communicated in harlem kind of indicates i think the the kind of um uh, yeah the kind of glee that the african american community there takes with the evident embarrassment of the, uh, the the state department and the eisenhower administration is 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 um suffering um but they also know that um that Fidel and his government are committed to uh, ending racial segregation on Cuba that they are committed to um racial equality and I think the fact that um he's prepared to stay in Harlem and to um show that kind of solidarity is um is symbolically very important and kind of on an emotional level is is deeply kind of appreciated and there's a kind of re- a reciprocal uh, sense of this sort of solidarity that, that's in the air really. I mean on the, um, I think it's Wednesday the 22nd when Eisenhower um, uh, speaks himself at the United Nations and then he hosts a lunch for the delegations of the Latin American countries but deliberately excludes Fidel Castro. So Castro goes back to the Hotel Teresa and, and treats the, the black employees of the of the hotel to lunch and of course invites the press there to take photographs and makes a big play about how he's He's not offended at not being invited to the grand uh, lunch with Eisenhower. He's much more happy and honoured to have lunch with the humble people of, of Harlem.
1: What a player. I mean, is there any, was there any possibility that there could have been rapprochement? I mean, this was a trip to, from Fidel to the US, and we see the Bay of Pigs invasion to try and topple Fidel within months. Uh, was, was there any suggestion that he might this visit was a missed opportunity?
2: I think, I mean, it's a really interesting question. That sort of counterfactual. I think there's certainly a point where um, you could see Cuban-U.S. relations not ending up as as difficult and as tense and as hostile as they eventually became. By the autumn of 1960, things have got pretty uh, pretty bad, and certainly what happens in, in 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 Harlem and in New York in September, you know, just really confirms the Eisenhower administration's conviction that they can have no Rapprochement with Fidel, or no meaningful kind of um, way of working things out. But there's sort of an inflexibility on both sides, really. I mean, I think there's a, a nice contrast, really, between Eisenhower, who just sort of refuses to meet Fidel, uh, dismisses him in private as a, as a madman, uh, and with Harold Macmillan, who, when he um, enters the General Assembly, he makes a big play of going over to NASA and shaking him by the hand and being friendly with him. Even though Britain has been humiliated a few years earlier by NASA and Egypt, and even though Macmillan had been one of the leading uh, hawks in the Suez crisis, and you, I do kind of think, you know, if Eisenhower had just been a little bit more, uh, a little bit more flexible, you know, if I mean, it was never going to happen, but if he had gone over to Fidel and kind of shaken him by the hand and said, you know, maybe we should try to, um, you know, meet quietly and try to work some things out, you know, history might have taken a different turn, but um, it was never really on the cards, I don't think.
1: As it was in terms, so moving away from the counterfactual, uh, back in the um, actual uh, historical record, what what the main the main legacy? Do you think of this remarkable ten days?
2: Yeah, so I think it um, it is a key moment in the history of the Cold War because it kind of cements this growing closeness between the Soviet Union and Cuba, which is a really important uh, relationship in its own right, but also indicates how the kind of wider uh, focus of the cold war is shifting away from europe to the countries of the of the global south the cold war which is going to focus on latin america on africa and on and on uh, and on asia i think it's also um i think that there's something about the kind of anarchic sort of rip it up style of this trip which i think sets the tone for the rest of the for the rest of the decade um and the way in particular in which fidel is kind of fated by the kind of the the great and the good of the american kind of left um is a kind of an early sign of that kind of politics of th- so-called third worldism and, and radical chic, which becomes really important uh during the nineteen sixties, particularly during the, the later nineteen sixties with the um support for the Viet Cong and the support for the Black Panthers, for example. Um so I think those are probably the two biggest um kind of consequences. The 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 kind of cold Cold War relationship and the and the kind of the the kind of mood music mood music, the style, the um the way that the sixties kind of unfold um as we as we go forward from from this um from these extraordinary ten days.
1: Well, the book is called, appropriately
2: Ten Days in Harlem, uh, Fidel Castro and the Making of the Nineteen Sixties.
1: Go and get it, everybody. It's brilliant. Simon, thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. You were on years ago talking about nineteen fifty-six. Um and so it feels to me like you're you shouldn't you feel free not to answer this, but you're heading on a Uh, unstoppable trajectory towards 1968 that's what it feels like from this point
2: Well, we'll see yeah but it's great to be back on so thanks for inviting me